morning. Good morning, church family. Good to see all of you. Thanks for being here. I hope you'll stay to the end. <clears throat> I want to also welcome everyone who's joining us online. Thanks for tuning in this morning. And if you're a first-time guest with us or any kind of a guest with us, I want to give an extra special warm welcome to you. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, let me hear your pages turning to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. And when you get to 2 Corinthians, I want you to find chapter 4. This weekend is what we call a standalone weekend here at Mount Pleasant. Last week, we finished a four-week message series called Everyday Evangelism. I hope we were all convicted, at least on some level, to be involved in our responsibility of sharing spiritual influence with the people that are around us in our daily lives. Next weekend will be uh, the beginning of November, and November, uh, every year, we talk about how to be good managers of the money God has entrusted us, whether it's a little or a lot. We're going to do that in a message series called Faithful. One of the things the Bible teaches us about stewardship is that the predominant quality of someone who is a good steward is faithfulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul writes and says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And so whether it's a, a, a trust related to money or some other thing, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul was writing about the trust that God had given him of the secret things of God or the message of God. But whatever it might be, whatever God has entrusted to you, your, your main responsibility with that is to be faithful. And we'll talk about that for four weekends <clears throat> related to money. And then in December, we're gonna have a special message series called Christmas at the Movies. We've done that before. It was very popular, very well received. And so we'll, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll do that again uh, for three weekends, including Christmas Eve weekend. And then we have our special Christmas service on the weekend of December 9th and 10th. And the great news is that we've had a tremendous response to our children's choir signups, our children's Christmas choir signups. And so we look forward to that being back. And I know it's going to be a great weekend, be a great opportunity for you to invite someone to come to church with you. But this weekend, uh, as we open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about something that I'm certain that all of us can relate to. When my mother was still alive, she used to enjoy reading books written by a woman named Patsy Claremont. Some of you may recognize that name. She's a Christian motivational speaker and novelist who uses a lot of humor in her presentations. And one day she told the story about sending her seven-year-old son, Jason, off to school. But a little while later, there was a knock at the door and she opened it up and to her surprise, it was her seven-year-old son, Jason. And so she said, what are you doing here? And, she, and he said, I've quit school. As a matter of fact, I've quit school. And she said, well, why have you quit school? And Jason said, because it was too long, it was too hard, and it was too boring. And his mother, Patsy Claremont, responded by saying, Jason, you have just described life. Now get back on the bus. <laughs> I know that's a silly story, but it's easy to relate to because we understand, all of us, at least on some level, that life can be difficult. A man named William Ward gives a more mature assessment of that reality when he writes these words. I'll put them up on the screen. Discouragement is dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and distrust for the future. It's ingratitude of the blessings of yesterday, indifference to the opportunities of today, and insecurity regarding strength for tomorrow. It is unawareness of the presence of beauty, unconcern for the needs of our fellow man, and unbelief in the promises of old. It is impatience with time, immaturity of thought, and impoliteness to God. It's a pretty long definition for discouragement. If you want a shorter definition for discouragement and what it really looks and feels like, then you can simply use the words of the Apostle Paul found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
So if you've got your Bible open there and you're able, let's stand together for the reading of Scripture and we'll see them together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, a very brief passage of Scripture today. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. And there it is. That's the way the apostle Paul describes the reality of discouragement. Therefore, here it is, we do not lose heart. I think everybody can relate to that on some level. And then he goes on to say, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, for what is seen is temporary. But what, but, excuse me, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There it is, you can be seated. We always ask God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Sorry, I got a little bit ahead of myself on that last verse. I want you to know, I, I really don't have in front of me this weekend what I'm thinking of as a sermon. That sounds odd, I know, but bear with me. My heart, for whatever reason, has been drawn to this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 over and over again for not just the last few weeks, but the last few months. And so what I have in front of me this morning more than anything else, are just some personal notes that I have made as I have read and reread and meditated on these verses over and over again. Because there are three verses, verses 16, 17, and 18, I have three basic things to share with you and a key thought with each of those. But I'm really not going to preach that to you today as much as I'm just going to share with you my thoughts. If you are someone who likes to take notes, then please feel free to write down whatever seems practicable, practical or applicable to you. But then again, this might be one of those weekends when it's just good to sit and listen. The first personal note I have written down related to this passage is a simple truth, and that's the truth that life is a daily event. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes and says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, note this, we are being renewed day by day. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And the key thought that I wrote down as I was meditating on this passage over and over again, is the reality of wasting away for us as believers. The reality of wasting away is trumped by the promise of being renewed day by day. And embracing that truth is one way to avoid losing heart or becoming discouraged. Clearly, if you know anything about the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, he wrote these words at a time when he was feeling discouraged, when he was losing heart. I know all of us can relate to that. Paul knew how difficult life could be. In fact, Paul knew how difficult life could be on a level that you and I will never experience in our lives. I say that because Paul literally knew what it felt like to be beaten up by life. And I'm talking in the most literal sense. The scriptures tell us that on five different occasions, he was beaten with a whip and he suffered 39 lashes each time. It was customary back in that day to give 39 lashes when someone was going to be whipped 
because the belief was, the literal belief was that 40 lashes would be too much because 40 lashes would kill you. So think about this for a moment. Five different times the apostle Paul was put in a position where basically somebody said, we're going to beat him to the point of his death and then we're going to stop. We're going to get as close as possible to something that he can literally physically not endure any longer and then we're going to stop. Three times Paul was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. Once he spent a day and night drifting in the sea, he endured multiple arrests and multiple imprisonments through his life. He was betrayed and abandoned by people that he thought were his friends, people that he thought were his coworkers. He was the target of religious hypocrites. He was the target of a hostile government. He was criticized among the churches that he planted and he served. And there were multiple times in his life when he was, I'll just say it like this, broke and cold and hungry and lonely. Life was not easy for the Apostle Paul. So much so that a lesser man probably would have given up a long time ago. But rather than giving up, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day because life is a daily event. Paul understood that. In fact, he understood that that was really one of the biggest problems with life, that it's just so daily, that it just keeps coming back again and again and again. And while that sounds simple and basic, to understand this reality of life, that it's a daily event, and when today ends, tomorrow will begin. Unless the Lord intervenes, tomorrow will begin, and the next day and the next day. When we put ourselves in a, in a place where we forget that truth, we put ourselves in a position where we can struggle. Because when we forget that life is a daily event, then we get this crazy belief in our minds sometimes that one day I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to be able to just put my life on cruise control and I'm not going to have to worry about anything, all this foolishness and all this nonsense and all this frustration that seems to surround me every day. Or someday I'm going to get the resources or the position or whatever it might be, the wealth, to conquer all of this daily nonsense and frustration and it'll be smooth sailing from there, but that day for you and for me will never come. Somebody say amen to that. It won't. It won't. It won't ever come. And you especially need to understand that if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, because the Bible tells us that we live every day of our lives in the middle of a spiritual conflict. I mean, this is one of those rock-solid biblical truths that we don't think about very often. We live every day of our lives in the middle of a spiritual conflict. You go to Ephesians chapter 6 and the latter part of the chapter is Paul is coming to an end in his letter to the church in Ephesus. And he says in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Note this, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And that's the reality of life in this world. And it's a reality that happens day by day by day and will never escape. Sometimes when I'm at home in the evenings and there's nothing on television that I'm interested in watching, which by the way is most nights, how about you? I've got my computer in front of me and I'll go to the website Zillow. You know what I'm talking about? 
and where you see all these homes listed for sale and you can see them all across the country. And I'll think of just some random place in the United States of America. Maybe something happened and put a place or a city in my mind, or I'll just think of a random place in the United States of America and I'll type that into the Zillow search uh, engine and it'll bring up all these homes for sale and I'll just look through the homes. I've got my price range in mind. I'll look for the homes and I say, well, yeah, I love that home. We could live in that home. And I wonder what it'd be like to live there in that home in a place where nobody knows me and I don't know anybody else. How wonderful would that be? (laughs) But that's just foolishness of thought because we never, ever as long as we live in this sinful, fallen, broken world, escape the foolishness and the nonsense and the frustration that comes along with that. And so you have to embrace what Paul says, especially in the latter part of 2 Corinthians 4.16 when he says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Outwardly we are wasting away. What's he talking about there? Where he could be talking about the literal decline of the physical body We've already talked about all of the things that he had endured in his life from a physical standpoint. I I can't imagine what his body felt like every morning when he woke up. The older we get, the more tired we get, more run down our bodies become, even if we've never experienced that level of physical punishment. I was having breakfast with someone the other day and I told them, they were talking to me about my time here at Mount Pleasant. I said, well, I was 43 when I came here in 2001. I'm 65 today and I said, I don't feel old. In my mind, I don't feel old. But I can tell that the day-to-day reality of life, which for me has included some significant health issues over the years, has taken a toll. And I said, I feel tired every day of my life. I have inserts in my shoes for plantar fasciitis. I have a strap around uh, my lower left leg below my knee because I have patella tendonitis and my back hurts all the time. <laughs> I, wake every day, I wake up every day tired. I'm sure that I'm not alone in that. Many of you could say the same thing. But our physical bodies, my physical body, doesn't define or determine the quality of our lives. It doesn't define or determine the quality of my life because as a Christian, we're supposed to live with a perspective that's filled more with eternal realities than physical realities. And so we need to practice what Paul talks about here In the latter part of verse 16, when he says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed. Everyone say renewed. Renewed day by day. We need spiritual renewal in our lives if we want to avoid losing heart. We need to renew our minds, for example. And I don't have time to talk about that in detail, but I would just say in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23, Paul says we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. And I think the only way that happens from the most basic standpoint is that we really take control of all the things that we see and all the things that we hear and all the things that we say. We, we, we make sure that we guard our minds as closely as possible. And we do that when we saturate it with the good things of God, not the bad things of the world. I think we need to renew our spirit We need to renew our spirit. And that happens when we 
make it a priority to spend time alone with God every single day. We make this conscious choice that we're going to have some alone time with God every single day, and I hope that's something you do. And I'm not some legalist about that. I don't think you have to say, you know, it has to be a certain amount of time. I think you just need to separate yourself from the reality of the world at some point every day, and you have some time where you connect on a genuine personal level with God. We need to renew our hearts. And I think the simplest way for that to happen is by making sure that we provide ourselves with some kind of emotional, positive emotional lift every single day. Maybe it's spending time with somebody as a friend or some friends. Maybe it's listening to uplifting music. I, got, I was wrecked by that song service or that time of worship last night. I was wrecked again by it this morning because it moved my heart so much. Maybe it's, maybe it's music. Maybe it's just finding a way and an opportunity to laugh, to just genuinely laugh. Proverbs 17:22 says a joyful heart is good medicine. I tell you some heart-wrenching times for me in my life over the years and this was primarily when my children were younger was when we were in a situation usually when we were on vacation we were away somewhere and in particular when we were on vacation away somewhere with friends and afterwards one of my children would say to my wife something like this I love it when dad laughs. which made me aware that that was something that didn't happen near enough. And so, we understand, if we wanna make sure that we avoid losing heart, we understand that life is daily, and our daily goal should be some level of renewal day by day by day. The second thing that I've written down based on the time that I have spent just reading and meditating on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 is this. Life is not about today as much as it is about tomorrow, which is really difficult. That's a really difficult concept for us to wrap our minds around, even people who have been believers and followers of Jesus for many, many years. But it's so true. Life is not about today as much as it is about tomorrow because in 2 Corinthians four seventeen, Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So our life today, that can be characterized by light and momentary troubles. I called it foolishness and frustration and nonsense a minute ago. Paul says, are achieving for us an eternal glory, something that's going to happen tomorrow that far outweighs them all. And my key thought I wrote down is just simply this. What I'm dealing with today is nothing compared to what lies ahead. What I'm dealing with today, what you're dealing with today, the frustration, the nonsense, the foolishness, the light and momentary troubles, they're nothing compared to what lies ahead, the eternal glory that lies ahead. In ancient Greek mythology, there's a legend of a king named Sisyphus. You probably know this story. He was the founder of a city called Ephora. And he had a reputation for being violent and always up to no good. And somehow, even the gods couldn't figure this out. On two different occasions, he found a way to cheat death through some kind of trickery. And so the gods, remember, this is mythology, Greek mythology, so it's little g gods. The gods weren't pleased with his deception. They decided that he needed to be punished. And the best way to punish him was to sentence him 
for time everlasting to push this immense boulder up a hill. And every time he almost reached the top, the boulder would roll back down to the bottom. So he'd have to start the process all over again. And so he was in effect sentenced to an eternity of hard labor and futility. Kind of what it feels like to be a Colts fan today. But the reason why I tell that story is because if you want to avoid losing heart, which is Paul's way to describe discouragement, you got to find a way to make sure your life is not feel, filled and dominated by what feels like futility, the futility of today. So let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like Sisyphus in your life? Do you ever feel like that you're following the same routine day after day after day, week after week after week, and you never ever get ahead? I can feel that way sometimes. I come to church on Saturday night and I preach and then I go home and I come back on Sunday morning and I preach two more times and then I go home and then I get up Monday morning and I, I, I'm worthless on Mondays for the most part. I have a couple of meetings and I try to arrange the week and try to do some reading and and make some contacts that I need to make. And then beginning Tuesday, I just, for Tuesday and Wednesday, and even sometimes part of the day on Thursday, I just pour myself into writing a message for the next weekend. And then there's some other things that always need to happen in there as well. And then Friday's my day off. And then Saturday comes and I come to church on Saturday night and I preach the message. I preach it two more times on Sunday morning. I go home and on Monday, it all starts over again. It just feels sometimes like this endless cycle Maybe some of you could say the same thing. What's the answer? Well, I think the answer <clears throat> is understanding that what you do today has a genuine impact on tomorrow. What you spend your life doing today, how you live your life today, has an impact on tomorrow. And for Christians, tomorrow, for us, it represents eternity. Let's just remind ourselves of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17. Put it together. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's eternity. So let me give you a couple of statements to go along with verse 17. And the first one is just basically a repeat of what I said is my key thought. What we are dealing with today is nothing compared to what lies ahead. Our eyes as believers need to always be focused forward. And we need to remember that we live in light of eternity. And so we can't let our eyes be solely focused on current situations or current circumstances but on what the Bible says about the fullness of life that is ahead of us, the fullness of the, our inheritance in Christ that lies ahead of us. Because whatever is happening in the moment, if that's all you can see, then you're going to be sad and you're going to be miserable and you're going to be hopeless. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And so we need to keep our focus on the future. Even, even if we feel like we're just going through this same routine day after day after day, week after week after week, because what we do and how we live today has an impact on tomorrow, and tomorrow is eternity for you and me. The second thing is this, and this is 
something that I really believe in strongly, but I also will tell you it's really hard to do. We've got to believe in our lives that what I'm dealing with today is doing me more good than harm. What I'm dealing with, whatever it might be, whatever level of foolishness or nonsense or frustration, whatever light and momentary trouble I'm dealing with today is doing me more good, ultimately more good than harm. Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. But how do you embrace that? I mean, seriously. Literally, how do you embrace that in a practical way? I only have one answer. And that is you have to come to a place in your life where by faith sometimes, because sometimes it'll just be by faith. Sometimes you can come to this conviction and you can live in the conviction for a while, but sometimes it's just gonna have to be by faith. But you come to a place where you stand firm in the belief that what is happening to you literally is working for you and not against you, even in the moment, even though in the moment you can't see that or feel that or even understand that. What would be some examples of that? Somebody who came to a place where they believed that what was happening to them was happening for them, not against them. My favorite character, my whole life, from the time I was just a little boy in Sunday school, in the Old Testament, is Joseph. Joseph's story is told in the latter part of Genesis, from chapter 37 all the way to the end, which is chapter 50. And it's an incredible, remarkable story. He was one of many, many brothers, his father's favorite. And because of that, you know the story. We don't have time for a deep dive on recap. His brothers were jealous of him. So one day when his father sent him to check on his brothers who were out doing the hard work, Joseph was home. He didn't get sent to do the hard work. That was one of the problems. They saw him coming and they plotted against him. And first they were gonna kill him, but then they just sold him to a caravan going by as a slave. And he ended up in Egypt. Remember they took Joseph's coat of many colors, another clear demonstration that he was his father's favorite because they didn't get a coat of many colors. They took it and they covered it with animal blood, took it back to their father and said, this is all that's left of Joseph. He must have been killed by a wild animal. Sorry, but your son is dead. And that was it. Life went on. And if you know anything about Joseph, we don't have time to recap it. He, he went through a, some really significant things for a long period of time in Egypt. But through the providence of God, and it has to be viewed by that, like that, through the providence of God, who's in control of all things. Can somebody say amen to that? He ended up the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And because of that, there was another incident through the providence of God where he was reunited with his brothers who had betrayed him and lied about him and sold him into slavery. And as the second most powerful man in Egypt, he could have had anything done to those brothers that he wanted to. But instead of taking revenge, he forgave them. And you remember what he said? This is one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible or passages in all the Bible. Genesis chapter 15, verse 19, he said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, let me ask you a question, friends. How can you look at that and not see that Joseph, at some point in his life, came to the conclusion that what was happening in his life was not happening against him, it was happening for him? And the things that he went through, even the suffering that he went through, 
even the emotional pain of what he went through was working for him. It did him more good than it did him harm. We're reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, written by the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, not long ago when we did a message series called Unashamed, where we went chapter by chapter through the book of Romans, we talked about Paul, and Paul had this dream because he was a soul winner, an evangelist, a church planter, a missionary. He was all those things. He had this dream of going to Rome to meet these people, to see them face to face, to encourage them face to face. But Paul, while Paul eventually went to Rome, he didn't go the way they thought he would. He thought he would go as a brother in Christ, as a missionary, a church planner, an evangelist, an encourager, a preacher, a pastor, but he went in shackles because he went to Rome as a prisoner. And so you could look at that and say, well, Paul's ministry dream of going to Rome crashed and burned. It ended in a dramatic way. But then you have to notice how Paul responded to it all. And we see how Paul responded in Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 14, because I personally believe that Paul wrote the letter to the church in Philippi while he was a prisoner in Rome. I know there's some debate about that. Some people think that he was in Ephesus, but I think the evidence points more towards Rome. And while he wrote this letter to another church, while he was in Rome as a prisoner, not the way he planned to be there, this is what he said. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And a lot of people would look at Paul's circumstance and say, wow, what a bummer. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. There's not anything worse that could happen. He wanted to go to Rome in a completely different way. And this is the opposite of that, how terrible this is. But Paul says, I'm going to take this as a win. How can he say that? How could he write those words? Because he believed that what happened to him was happening for him, even though it wasn't what he had originally planned. And I'm telling you, friends, as a pastor and a spiritual shepherd who loves you and cares about your soul and your life, We have to understand that. And we have to understand that our life in this world is a short-term experience. And God is always at work inside of us for what's coming down the road. Here's the third thing. <clears throat> life is all about where you choose to look. And I see that in verse 18 where Paul ends this passage, this brief passage by saying, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And my key thought is just so simple. It's you can't confuse what's temporary with what's eternal. What we experience in this world today is temporary. The best days, the best experiences are temporary. And the worst days and the worst experiences are temporary. But what God is concerned about is what's eternal. And that's what we should be concerned about as well. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. 
For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I preached on this verse all, not all that long ago. I don't expect that you would remember that. But I told you, I, I focused primarily on this verse in a message a while back. I told you that in the original language of the New Testament, those words that are translated, we fix our eyes in my NIV Bible, literally mean while we look. And so the idea is as we go through life, we're always looking. We're always, we're always looking deliberately, not at what is seen, but at what is unseen. And that gives us the ability to endure when we go through difficult times. That gives us the ability to avoid losing heart and becoming discouraged in difficult times. And so you can think of it like this. Paul is actually teaching us that there is a conditional force at work here and our ability not to lose heart, our ability not to get discouraged and wanna give up is conditional based on where we choose to focus our sight. On, it's conditional based on what we choose to look at as we go through life. Because he said, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. On the last trip that Sandy and I made to Savannah before my sister-in-law died, she would just spend her days sitting in this special chair that they had purchased for her that was in the living room my brother Kenneth had a chair next to her and all of us filled the house every day. Sandy and I were there, my younger sister and her family were there and Kenneth and Jolene's three kids were there and their spouses and their four grandchildren were there. We were all there. <clears throat> she had lost the ability at that time to move and to talk and came to a place where she wouldn't she wasn't even able to open her eyes, but she was there. And one day my brother, who'd been upstairs for a while, came down and he had his Bible in his hand. And he sat down in his chair next to Jolene and he, he looked at her and he said, I wanna read some things to you from a sermon I wrote about heaven. So just before he began to read the excerpts from the sermon, he looked at her and he said these words. He said, it better be real. And then he went on for a little over five minutes and read just one incredible truth after another about the reality of heaven. Some of it came straight from the Bible and passages in the scriptures that God gives us to give us a glimpse of what heaven is gonna be like. And some of it came from just Christian writers who just were inspired to write truths about heaven, things that they believed would be true about heaven and just the beauty of heaven. It was very, it was very moving in that moment. I can't describe to you what it was like in that moment to be there. But before he began, he looked at his wife of 35 years a woman he loved with all of his heart, a woman who had enriched his life in more ways than he could ever write down on a piece of paper. And he said, it better be real. And he didn't say that out of a lack of faith. I don't want you to think that for a second. He didn't say that from a position of doubt. He said that 
because he had finally come to a moment where he knew that she was going to die. He had spent 16 months always looking for the next thing that might possibly sustain her life. If she was in one trial treatment program at MD Anderson in Houston, he was talking to the Mayo Clinic about another trial program that might be available to her if that one failed. And he was talking to Duke University Medical Center about another trial program that might be available to her if that one failed. And his whole life for 16 months was wrapped up in how can I give more time? What can I do that can provide more time for this woman that I love so dearly? But he'd come to a moment when he knew she was going to die. That was what was seen. And as he was filled with the grief of losing his wife, his ability to not lose heart His only hope for not losing heart was tied up in the promises of God for eternity. And so he fixed his eyes in that moment, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And he just spoke those words from the heart of a husband, even though his faith and his trust was in God. Just great honesty. He said, it better be real because that's what I'm choosing. I'm, that's what I'm putting all of my hope and my trust in in this moment, this belief and this trust and this faith that what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal and that this moment is not the end of the story. So we do not look at the trouble we can see now, but we look at something beyond. And that's how we make it through life. At the very end of his time of reading to her these excerpts from a sermon that he had written about heaven, he read to her 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, but not from the New International Version that I'm reading from. He wrote it, read it from the New Living Translation where it says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And at the end of the day, whatever that might look like for you and me, I'm telling you that your ability and my ability to not lose heart has everything to do with where we choose to look. And we can't confuse what is temporary with what is eternal. Life is a daily event, and the reality of wasting away is trumped by the promise of being renewed day by day. Life is not about today as much as it is about tomorrow, and what I'm dealing with today is nothing compared to what lies ahead. Life is all about where you choose to look and you can't confuse the temporary with the eternal. I wonder if anybody is feeling like they're losing heart this morning. Anybody who's here, anybody who's listening to me online. I wonder if anybody came in discouraged, feeling a little bit overwhelmed by whatever your circumstance, your scene 
and temporary circumstance of life is today, my word of encouragement to you is don't lose heart. You don't have to. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we're so grateful for the truth of your word that becomes a foundation for our lives that sustains us and carries us and guides us and captivates us and reminds us and leads us and teaches us, corrects us, encourages us, and on and on and on. I'm praying for any one today in this place or listening to me online who feels like they're about to lose heart. I pray they'd be encouraged by the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 